Hello, and thanks for joining us for episode six from series two of George and Charlie Off the Bridal. We'll be joined by two special guests, Jason Weaver and William Darby. So settle down and enjoy. I'm Tony Rushmer, and on my laptop via the power of Zoom are racehorse trainers George Scott and Charlie Fellows. We are a new market-based racing podcast supported by Fitstairs Bookmakers, who offer free streaming for all UK and Irish racers. Hello, chaps. Hello. Hi, Tony. How are we all? Yeah, in good form, actually. The, the, the heat has relented, as you can imagine, uh, being in, uh, in, new, in Newmarket, uh, in those stables and those barns. It's fairly relentless, especially when it got that hot. But um, uh, we're in much better shape now. We've had a few thunderstorms and um, everyone seems in good form. And you were mentioning that it's five-a-side night tonight. What's the, is it a new football thing you guys are doing? I think, I think all of us have put on so much weight over lockdown and got so unfit that uh, Tom Pritchard-Gordon of Badger's Bloodstock fame has decided to reignite Tuesday night football, which George and I used to play years and years and years ago, and it got quite competitive. Um, I remember the days with Tom Morley and Ed Walker thundering around on a football pitch, taking out your shins was one of the most unpleasant experiences I've ever had on a football pitch. But it looks like we're trying to reignite it tonight. And um, there's a little bit of chat going on in the WhatsApp group about how unfit everyone is and how particularly fat I am at the moment, which is very kind of George. And also George, who is a cock hoop today because it's his birthday. So a very happy birthday. Um, to George. Um, Polly, doing anything nice for your birthday? Well, I've been downgraded in the racing post because I got a picture last year and I've I just got a, me- a, a, a mention this year. So I'm um, a little disappointed in that. But um, no, we're keep, keeping it quiet. I'm coming to play football tonight. Um, and uh, I think we'll have a Jemima, our daughter, is um, going to, um, we're going to have a cake with her. So that'd be nice. But uh, business as usual here. And yeah, Fellows is actually a handy goalkeeper. Those five-side goals aren't too big, so I'll be picking him on my team and just getting him to lie in front of the goal. <laughs> if that's the big news away from the track, surely the news on the track has got to be the racehorse, Charlie Fellows. Oh, so close, nose defeat last week. That was a blow, wasn't it, chaps? Well, in true Charlie Fellows, the trainer style, he spoiled the party because we had a lovely draw down on the rail and um, Charlie's horse that was well fancied and well bet was just drawn a couple of stalls next to us and we had a little chat before the race and he said I wouldn't mind just slotting in um, pole position there just two back on the rail anyway what do I see is I'm, I'm, I'm watching it on my phone there's this, a, a flash of mauve Paul Roy's colours as Charlie's horse fills in the slot on a particularly deep track where no horses are making up ground we sit two, two, three back. We sit three back and come rattling home. And it was a, it was a pixel. But a, a, um, we finished second, beating a pixel. But it was a, it was a hell of a run, to be fair. And on the subject of horses named after trainers, did I see an entry given to the racehorse George Scott, uh, Mr. Fellows? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So George has got an entry at Wolverhampton on Friday. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Did you not? No. Fantastic. It's just an auction race. Actually a bit hotter than I'd hoped. 
Um, but it's the first time out anyway, and a bit like Charlie on his first start, we're just going there to have a bit of race course experience and hopefully run a nice race. Um, he's going to do a little blow tomorrow, and then he'll go in the stalls on Thursday. And as long as as long as those two go okay, um, then he'll probably go and have a have a spin round there. Um, start over seven, I think it'll suit really nicely and. See how we get along. It'll be a stepping stone. He won't. He won't win this week. I'd be. I'd be actually gobsmacked if he's ready to go and win this week. But he'd be I'd, equally. I'd be disappointed if he ran a. If he ran a stinker. So um, we'll see how we get along. But I, I thought Charlie ran an absolute blinder. And and the only annoying thing is the handicapper hasn't missed and has given him five pounds for finishing second, which is never nice. But he's got a couple of entries this week, and I think. Hopefully, George uh, has decided. Well, has sort of got a rough idea of what we're going to do. But uh, it's look, it's brilliant. It's so like two horses. They both run um, by mid-August um, and, and bought for twenty grand or less. That's not bad going. Podcast members, I mean, obviously, it's a difficult year for them to fully experience ownership with um, with with lockdown through the spring and, and early part of summer. Um, are the guys who are in the horses uh, enjoying it? Well, I went to I went to Kempton to see cause for Char- uh, Charlie's race. A because Charlie was running, and B because I had one in the race as well. And there were a few of the syndicate members were there. Obviously, the racing experience is is very different, and it's not overly enjoyable. Um, you're very much kept apart from the owners. Um, but I was able to speak to uh, to a few of the guys across the fence, and um, you know they were there and. It's, this isn't how we wanted to launch a podcast syndicate. I think we were really hoping to have a few more social events and, and have a few more yard visits and stuff like that. Obviously, with the restrictions, we just can't do any of that. So it's a real shame in that regard. And I suppose that, that makes it even more important that both horses have got to the track in mid-August, which is fantastic. Yeah, that's the headline. And uh, let, let's hope that one of them can, uh, if not both, can can get their heads in front. Obviously, Charlie Fellows came extremely close. Let's hope one, if not both, will be winning before the season's out. Oh, yeah, no, I'm sure. I'm sure they will. But I think Charlie, wherever he runs on Saturday, will be pretty competitive. And actually, the BHA have just announced some changes to the guidelines. So we're hoping to get as many um, syndicate members to each uh, to, to either of those two two tracks where he has entries. Um at the weekend and i'll be there so um no looking forward to that tony good stuff that's us up to speed we'll check in later on other runners but before we do so we have our first special guest a man we all know well jason weaver a classic winning jockey turned tv presenter and pundit i'll start if i may by giving you a couple of thoughts of my own i got to know jason in the press room a decade or so back mainly bumping into him at yarmouth always among the funniest of the press room bunch he was also among the hardest working. He'd be at the track two or three hours before racing, going through the form, making sure he was meticulously prepared for his stint in front of the camera. I'd also occasionally take him on on the golf course where he was much better than me and, of course, great company. Have you had much dealings with uh, Jason Weaver chaps over the season's years? The thing I admire most about Jason is just how positive he is and how optimistic he is you know and he he's always incredibly kind with his comments on tv which you know um you know it's not always a given i've enjoyed um one uh, the monday night show that he did with luke um enjoyed being a guest on that so yeah it'd be nice to catch up with him uh, yeah obviously c- come across him a huge amount he's he's incredibly likable very down to earth and he's funny and he makes it fun and he makes that you 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 sort of casual viewer 
finds it very easy to understand what Jason's going on about. And they and, and that, especially when you're talking about ITV, that is so important. And he nails that and he's brilliant at it. So I think, um, you know, between him and Luke Harvey, they have done, you know, they've been fantastic and a fantastic addition to the ITV team. Um, and um, it's great that they got a you know, contract again the other day and that ITV are continuing to cover racing uh, on, ter- on terrestrial TV. You made a good comment there, George, where you said that he's, you know, he's kind and compassionate toward racing professionals. But I suppose there must be a balance that maybe I will we'll ask him about where you have to be analytical and, and honest about what you see, but also you have to balance the fact that you want to work with these people, interview and speak to them. I mean, do you, what, how do you feel racing journalists in general, racing broadcasters, tread that line between being fair to racing professionals, but also understanding that they have a job to do? Yeah, I think it's like the same in any sport when people cover, cover, you know, when journalists cover the sport, you know, they, they, they have to work out the line that they want to take. Um, but uh, I think racing gets, a, you know, we get a fair crack at the whip and um, you're always going to get people that are slightly more opinionated and people that are slightly more, you know. It's a fine line, isn't it? It's a fine line between being Roy Keane. Who, who goes in and slates everyone on TV? You know that 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 unbelievable rant against the Man United team, telling saying that he told to get De Gea that he, there was no space on the bus for him and he had to make his own way home, and 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 being too nice and maybe and maybe not and not not giving a fair assessment on the race. You know, it's not an easy position to be in. Right, that's the prelims in the bag. It's time to shoot the breeze with Jason Weaver. So, following in the footsteps of some great Series 2 guests, Jack Whitehall, Angus Gold, Mark Johnson, etc., we now have another big hitter in the Zoom room, a one-time champion apprentice with Luca Kamani, who became a 2,000 guineas winning jockey on Mr Bailey's, a man who chalked up a 1,000-plus victories in a fine life in the saddle, and then turned his attention to a new career armed with a microphone. He is, of course, Sky Sports Racing and ITV Racing's Jason Weaver. Welcome to George and Charlie off the bridle, Jason. Hey, boys. How are you? Welcome, Jason. Nice to see you. Yeah, looking good. Oh, damn, you look so good. So young, healthy, ready to go, aren't you? Yeah, I'm, I'm feeling great, Jason. It's my birthday today, so I'm top of the world, mate. Fantastic, fantastic. Yeah, I mean, look, York around the corner. So much to, I suppose, look forward to. Strange times that we're in. Um, but, um, yeah, yeah, racing, racing seems to be doing more than more than its own shift. You touched upon it there. York is upon us, Jason. Um, I suppose we can start off by asking you, um, have you got any of your own personal favourite memories of the Ebor Festival in York? Absolutely. Um, I mean, if you look back, and One So Wonderful, I was only a a, a kid at Lucas at the time, but One So Wonderful winning um, the Judmont, beating Faithful Son and Chester House. So it was Eddery, Detori, Fallon in an absolute ding-dong battle down the Naismith. I mean, it was a super, super race that will, will always stay with you. One of those, you know, if you want to get excited um, and, and ready for a meeting, just watch that back. It was an absolute belter. What were the, who, you mentioned two or three of them there. You mentioned Edry and Fallon. Who were the titans of the weighing room in, in your pomp when, or when you joined it in the late 80s and through the 90s? Who were the big hitters who commanded the maximum respect in the way? Absolutely Pat Eddery, right? He, he was known as God in the weighing room. And the reason, the reason was 
he was, honestly, he was as good in the cellar at Leicester as he was in the group one at Ascot on the weekend. I, honestly, he was a machine to ride against. The best thing about him, and I try and tell my lads to be exactly the same, doesn't matter if you're winning or losing, be exactly the same. And that was Pat Edry, right? He could have got beaten in the group one, but he came in and the next day or the next minute, he was exactly the same. It didn't affect him. He didn't let the game affect him. And it is a game. It is a game and it absolutely tames lions. So Pat was the, he was the king of the room. Wow. And, and if we can just go a little bit further back, um, how did you actually get started in racing, Jason? Are, are you a racing family or did you have a connection to sport or horses when you were a kid? Absolutely nothing. No racing family. Um, grew up in Wales uh, and played rugby to a pretty decent level. Um, was in the Gwent schoolboys uh, scrum half. Absolutely loved it. Uh, my, my games teacher was Brian Price. Um, and they were the brothers who used to play um, for, for Wales. My dad played for the RAF rugby when Wales were on tour in East Africa, and he played against my games teacher. So I'd be getting changed in the, in, 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 in the, the old cold changing room in Wales, getting ready to go out, and he would hit me with his steering wheel hand on the back of the head as you're getting changed. And I said, oh, I said, what's that for, sir? What's that for? He'd say, that's what I did to your father when I played him, Weaver. <laughs> Jace, from one scrum half to another, so we probably we probably a bond there, you know. Um, so was that the, so did it, was it this is the route where you weren't growing much and someone sort of cast a comment to you saying, God, you're not very big, you should be a jockey. We went to a, we went to a tournament up, up the valley somewhere, I think it was close to Rumney, uh, and I had my, my shoulder sort of dislocated and lost a few teeth, and I thought, do you know what, maybe the lads are just getting a bit too big. And then I, I rode out um, on weekends for Milton Bradley as a kid in Chepstow, wasn't too far away from, from where I was. I went and stayed there on the weekends. Um, but prior to that, I obviously had a pony, um, which I bought, believe it or not, for £25 and a fridge freezer of my mother's, which she didn't know about at the time. I wheeled it across the estate and put the pony in the back garden. So, yeah, that's, that's where it all started. So you always had an interest then. There was, there was always, uh, you know, horses were something that, I don't know, piqued your interest as a young lad. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I loved horses. Uh, and, and, I mean, that pony, Volvo, a 12-2 Dapple Grey, although he wasn't the greatest and he would regularly throw me off. And, but, you know, it, it taught me to ride. And, obviously, it's so expensive, isn't it, you know, to, to continue down that route. David Grooms was just round the corner. So I would go there on the weekends whenever they had the, the Wales and the West show. So all the BSJA proper show jumpers would turn up there. And I was the chalk boy. I was on the board, you know, like saying when they would go into the ring. So my mother would allow me off the Friday from school because you got 30 quid if you did the chalkboard and it was a Friday, a Saturday and a Sunday. It was like winning the lottery as a kid. Honestly, it was fantastic. And, and you, uh, as a young jockey, ended up at uh, a place that Charlie Fellows knows well now. 
um, Bedford House. How did you end up working uh, for Luca Kamani in Newmarket? Right. So I wrote off. I wrote off to the British Racing School, and they um, they said, "Right, come up. We're going to find you a trainer." Uh, they put me with Luca for five weeks. I then went to the racing school for nine, and then it was up to whether Luca wanted me back after that period. So I was lucky that he said I could. I could end up back at Bedford House. It's an amazing yard, isn't it? You. How long were you here for? Uh, so, so Charlie, I turned up at sixteen. Um, and I had, I'm ashamed to say, I had like really long hair at the back. It was the, the in thing back then, right? I didn't have enough money to have sort of a, a Glen Hoddle perm at the back, but I had long hair and an earring. So I turned up and I think within the first couple of days that I was there, the head lad literally whipped me in the corner of the stable, told me to get rid of the earring, told me to ch- 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 get my hair cut and get back in the game. So, um, Listen, I, you know, I had a great childhood in Wales, absolutely loved it. But where you are in Bedford House is sort of where I, where I grew up. And everybody, I know I look back at it with rose-tinted glasses, but the squad that Luca had there looked after each other. You had the older paid lads, you know, you had the ones who came in and just rode out. You had the team, the main team, if you like, who were in there looking after their three, as it used to be. Um, and it was a... It was a fantastic atmosphere to, to grow up in. The, the older lads looked after the younger lads coming through. And it was great. The bottom yard, which is now Marco Botti's, that was only lads. There were only lads in the – no women allowed. Only lads down the bottom yard. And then at the top, we had a sort of a mix, if you like. But, um, yeah, two completely different atmospheres. Um, and were you there for the derby win? You had won the derby twice? Yeah. Were you there for either of them? No, 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 no. I think I may well have been sort of at the racing school era when, when Kayazi was around. So, you know, um, and obviously Aka, Andy Keats, who, who was, um, you'll see him around town, got a nasty scar on his face. There was a real savage in the yard called Shellac, who would literally kick your eye out if you got anywhere near him. And he, sure enough, he laid Andy out one night when he was looking after him in Evening Sable. So, um, yeah, Akko used to look after him. Um, it was Bobby Kerr. Uh, wow, well, there were some wonderful, wonderful lads there at the time. Did you think of a better yard in town to, to, to do your time and learn your, learn your craft, Jace, under a man like Kamani? Yeah, the, listen, the, the good thing was, as a kid, he would always bring me back in after I'd ridden and he would have... We're going back in time now, so literally he would have the video of the race to show me at breakfast time and run me through it and tell me where I'd gone wrong, what was right, what, you know, my whole, the whole process of being a jockey. But he was brilliant because he would sidle up beside you in the morning, bear in mind, you're supposed to have been there, mucked out your three, you're riding out in the morning. He would have wanted you to have got the racing post, looked at all the form. He would want to know where the pace is, what's favorite, what was the best way to attack the race. And you're a young kid coming through. So the grounding and the way to attack each race was already, you know, he was already, the, the, the process was awesome. Is that something you recommend to fellows and Scott with their young apprentice riders? Well, hopefully, hopefully the boys have got, you know, listen, they, honestly, if you can catch hold of somebody young 
and enthusiastic at the moment who absolutely lives and breathes it. You, you are the figure that they will be looking up to. You, you're, the, you're the guys that this kid um, has come away from home, he or she, come away from home and need some guidance, need some help, need schooling and aiming in the right direction. Big opportunity. Poor kid, the poor kid who has George Scott to be their guidance. <laughs> <laughs> um, so did you come in the house, Bedford House much? Well, don't be silly, Charlie. I was just, a, you know, like the, the peasant outside. I was busy mucking out Luke or whatever. Uh, okay, because I was going to say, that I think the decor in the house is still what it was about 60 years ago. Yeah, 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 yeah. Listen, you're allowed in the office, and obviously Luca being Luca, he had a black and white lurcher called Stout, right? You couldn't make it up. Stouty or Stout, right, was his lurcher. And I swear to God, you'd go in that front door, and it would have you back out in a second. It was a horrible, horrible beast, I tell you. <laughs> uh, you went from uh, working in Newmarket for Luca Kamani to become stable jockey, am I right, to Mark Johnson up in Midlam. Uh, that was another big hitting boss. What was that like? He was our guest on the last episode and uh, a serious racing heavyweight. Yeah, Mark, um, he gets a lot of stick, doesn't he? You know, as being sort of, he just doesn't do small talk is his thing, right? You know, he doesn't do, you know, say, oh, Mark, you know, weather's not great today. He'd look at you like you've got something growing out your ear, you know, right? The, the conversation is not a big thing for him, is it? Right? He's, he's he just, uh, he's business. He's absolutely business. I made the mistake of the other day bumping into him at the July meeting. And I always have a chat with him and, you know, a, a laugh and whatever. And I said, oh, I said, you've been on the bike? I said, you look really, really light because I've got a huge COVID sort of lockdown belly at the moment where I couldn't stay away from the fridge. And I said, you look great, Mark. You've been on the bike. And he said, no, I, I had COVID. I went, oh, right, okay, okay. So, you know, went down like a balloon. <laughs> but to work for, you, you must have, when you had some great times, didn't you? Some top horses. We mentioned Mr. Bailey's in the prelims, um, but there was double trigger. What was the highlight of, the, of the, the Johnson era for you? What was the big one? Obviously, Mr. Bailey's double trigger and Princely Air. There were loads of, you know, Bijou Dan was a St. James's Palace winner and he was an absolute machine. You know, um, we talk about, you know, winning at, at York. He won the Acom, um there, was a big freewheeling, old fashioned racehorse, you know, loads of bone uh, and a strange way of going, a funny action, but just, uh, just an absolute machine. He was so easy to work for. So I've gone from Lucas and I would, always be on the phone and you report about how the horse run, you know, that evening on the way home from the races. And I think about the fourth time I did it, he would say, what, why are you ringing me? And I said, well, you know, just to sort of tell you about the horse. He said, well, yeah, no, no need really. I've, I've watched the race and, you know, we, you come back in and we'll see you tomorrow morning. And, um, you know, he, he will have his own idea about the race and how he watched it and everything else. You know, it's completely different to, to Luca, chalk and cheese. And Chase, when we had Mark on the other day, we were talking a little bit about Goodwood and I sort of, I fell into the trap of sort of putting words in his mouth about how he likes his horses ridden. And uh, thankfully he let me off a good chew, but I thought I was going to get, get one. But it is um, synonymous in the way that you see with Mark Johnson, in the way that you see his horses ridden. And as a, as a, stable jockey of his 
was it just something that you it was just an unspoken sort of secret that you would just jump let the horse let the horse go forward and and um you know either make the running or just sit one back or, or how did you discuss that type of thing with him I never really discussed it. Go on, so Luca sent me away for three winters um, to California. So I spent nine months at Santa Anita, Hollywood Park, the now defunct Hollywood Park. So I was lucky at that time. There was McCarran, Patrick Valenzuela, Lafitte Pinkai, Alex Solis, Eddie De La Jose. It was an, an unbelievable colony of jockeys, right? The best I've ever been around. The absolute best. So I'm riding work for, with Charlie Whittingham with Chris, Chris McCarran putting me under his wing and just taking me around every morning. So all of a sudden, the clock and the timing and everything else, and you, you learn that process and what you're doing. So I had, I, I had a, a good idea of pace when I came back over and I'm riding here. And then I'm riding Mark's horses. They're fit. You know, you're not to 60s, 70s, 80s. Back then, when he was down in the other uh, place, not, not, not where he is at the moment on the farm, when he was at Kingsley House, would come back in, say they ran on the Monday, and they'd come back and possibly be in the swimming pool twice a day and on the walker and maybe run three or four days later without having a saddle on, and then you'd get on them in the paddock, and this thing would be absolutely popping, ready to go, and you'd go out, and i think, well, I'll make the running. I'd already said to the jocks in the weighing room, you know, they're all asking, where's the pace, where's the pace? And I say, well, I'll go, I'll go. And all of a sudden, you've got that clock, you know you're going seven furlongs at Beverly, uh, and I've had an easy time down to the bottom turn, and I think, I'm halfway around the bend, and I think, well, something's got to be so much better than me to beat me from here. Because you know, you boys know, training them, a bad one can go for two. Right, a bad one has got a two furlong burst, you know. And if you can kid them down to that point or anywhere near there, you're going to win. You're going to win. And they were fit, they were healthy, and um, no, I, like it just clicked. So we 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 and we had a free reign for a long time up the north because everybody was saying, "Oh well, Johnson's all go." Johnson. So you imagine walking out into the paddock. They're going, "Well, you'll go." So yeah, I'll go. And away you went, and it was absolutely gifted. But that was about the time when this kind of whole thing was starting, you know, in a sense that it was just, it just naturally fell into place and it's something that he stuck with, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I listen, you know, obviously there are horses that are, have got a certain way to being ridden. But if you've got the hands on their neck and they're relaxed, you look at all of the Johnson. How often do you see a Johnson horse pulling? Very, very rare, if any. And it doesn't matter over a, from five furlongs to two and a half miles. They don't. They find a rhythm. They find, absolutely, they find a rhythm. They love the routine and they find a rhythm. And that's the easiest way. If they're breathing and they're, they're relaxed and you're not pulling any petrol, you just leave them alone and let them get on with it. We all know that the horse is the, big, the most important factor. The jockeys make a huge difference for, for millimetres, um, you know, like the race that we talked about. Um, but, um, you know, just get that horse in a rhythm. Just let him or her breathe. We could talk about your riding career for a lot longer, Jason, but I'm mindful of time constraints. And we want to talk to you about your secondary career as well and kind of that switch from the saddle to holding the microphone. You did retire comparatively early as a jockey, and I'm assuming or having read stuff that that was down to the scales. It wasn't because you'd fallen out of love with the game from a riding perspective, was it? 
No, no, absolutely not. My, my mother put me on a diet of boiled rice and apples for six weeks for, to, to get into the British racing school. You had to be under seven stone to be accepted back then. Um, so boiled rice and apples for six weeks, which I think when I left school at 16, I was nine, seven, um, playing rugby for school and everything. And yeah, no, eight, seven, eight, seven. So stripped it down. Uh, and then, um, yeah, from, from there on, it was a, a massive battle with the scales. So, uh, um, yeah, shocker, shocker, really. But when you finished riding, uh, as I say, very early 30s, did you sort of have a vision for what you wanted to do as stage two of the of the, the Weaver professional life? Or was it kind of, oh, I'll, I'll try and find my way a bit here? Absolutely find my way. Because you leave, you, you lead such a blinkered life, right? Exactly where where Charlie and George are now at the moment, there is nothing else except training the horses. So from a, you know, a young jock's point of view, there's nothing. All I had to do was beat the scales on the front. The easy part was talking to the owners and riding winners. That's the absolute easiest part in the world. It was just beating the scale was the nightmare. So, um, no, I finished. I sat in the kitchen um, just across the way here, and I got on the scales. I was about nine six. I had eight eleven to do. I was riding for Nasida, and I rang him up and I said, "I'm not going." And I spoke to Fiona. Uh, she was still working then uh, at Landweight. I rang her up and I said, "That's it." Um, and then we sat down. I had a big. Uh, I'm not ashamed to say it, but I had a big old cry in the kitchen with Fiona. Uh, and then we said, right, come on, let's just pull our socks up and, and find something else. It must have been a really tough time for you because your whole 14 years you'd had, you know, your working life had been dedicated and committed, as you said, to beating the weight and then riding winners. You'd spent 14 years hard graft at that. It must have looked a slightly scary proposition. Luckily, you had a good woman by your side, I suppose. Well, that, but also, you know, I grew up in Wales. So I'm playing rugby. I worked on the farm on the weekend. So whether it was milking cows or, or being out in the field, picking potatoes or absolutely whatever, right? We've been on the back of the machine there doing that for years just to get a few quid. So I've always been up for, you know, just getting on with something and finding something and doing something. Um, so I was never, never going to just sit around and do nothing. So the media career, how did, it, how did you fall into the life that, you, that you're so successful in now? There was, there was a guy called Jim Ramsey um, who was big in uh, Channel 4 and everything else. And um, he owned a horse called Aldahi. Um, and I won on it on a couple of occasions, I think at Chester and at Brighton. And he called me out of the blue and said, we're having some, some auditions up in London. Do you want to come down? And so I went down, um, and I'll tell you the story because it's all, it's all, yeah, listen, lads, we're all chatting. I went down, had the audition, Mick Guest, who um, drives Ryan Moore at the moment, and then we went out in London. I think we got thrown out of Spearmint Rhino. <laughs> was that the interview for um, At The Races as was then, or was that even earlier? Yeah, no, it was, it was the, the old, so the racing channel had finished, and then it was the, the new racing channel. Yeah, yeah. So, so Jim Ramsey was, was part of that, that um, set, set all that up and running. Was actually based in Hayes, just around the corner from um, Heathrow. We were chatting before you came on about um, how George made the point that you are very balanced when you deal with racing professionals in that 
you're, you're kind in one sense, but you realise there's a balance that you have to be honest in another sense of what you've seen. How, how do you uh, consider when you watch a race back? There was a race at Newbury, for instance, last Saturday, where the first got thrown out and well, throw, it was downgraded to second, and the second, the prince's horse, was given the race. When you look at those situations, how critical do you feel you need to be uh, about what you've witnessed and how much you balance that by thinking, actually, I need to talk to that jockey or that trainer in weeks, months ahead? What's the sort of, uh, how do you view that conundrum? Well, I've had one, I had one falling out this year. William Buick really didn't take well to me saying I didn't think he gave uh, Pinatubo a particularly good ride in the St. James's Palace. Um, you know, he he he, um, he he wasn't happy with me at all. Um, anyway, look, I, I can only say what I see and what I think. Um, but I've had it before. I've had it before with Frankie. Um, I've had him on the phone. I remember when I, I gave Philip Robinson a, a bit of welly. He was on the phone uh, and, and, you know, not happy with me at all. Um, but you've got to say what you see. You know, there's no point in in absolutely sugarcoating it. David Prober, I thought he um, he was harsh to get three days. He got three days as well as getting thrown out. I thought that the horse was pulling himself up in front. So, look, I didn't think there was a riding offence, but he definitely should have been taken down. And um, it was the right decision. They are the absolute whipping boys at the moment, the stewards, aren't they? They're having a, a shocking time. Um, and I think it stems back from... Oshin Murphy getting off with his five days at um, Goodwood earlier on in the year, and it snowballed from there. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think certainly, um, you know, with, with with the current situation we're in, the, the, it's such a, it's been such a sort of intense season, hasn't it? It's like being a, 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 a sort of a cooking cauldron, and um, I think every detail is being picked up so much more sharp, sharply this year. And you know, with the with the with the bands coming in and being so relevant, so important in a congested season, I think it's being um, sort of magnetised. So, so we we've got massive fields. I've been fascinated to know what you boys think about it because we've got massive fields at York where they're, they're, it's tough and horses get close together, and you can go along not clipping heels. If you clip heels, you go down, but you can go along slapping shoes for three, four, five strides when it gets tight in the middle. And get away with it. Um, but do they come back with terrible speedy cuts, nicks, cuts, everything else, or whatever? You know, there's got there's a fine line between racing tight and putting it where it's a, a dangerous situation. So I don't know. Some of the horses come back in, in in not particularly good health. Look, every now and again, every now and again, you do. I had one. I'm trying to remember. I had one the other day uh, that had something behind it where the hell was it had something behind it who was pulling like a train and it was to run into the back of my horse and for the life of me i can't remember where it was and she, and she came back with some nasty cuts uh on her hind legs and every now and again it happens but not not very often not very often yeah and look this, this and of course the standard you don't talk about the jockeys you asked me going way back about pat Edry. if you Bruce Raymond, I remember having Bruce Raymond shut in on the Roly Mile on about my fourth ride. I'm on some absolute elephant of Lucas, right? That's probably 550 kilos. And I thought, oh, I'm a jockey. I've got somebody shut in, you know. Oh, look at me. Aren't I fantastic? And Bruce went to nudge me out of the way. And I sort of went, 
oh, my, my horse is much bigger than yours. And I just sort of nudged him back in. And so he looked at me. He pulled it through. And this is the old whip, right? This thing was an old, right? He pulled his whip through and he gave me the biggest two lashes, one across the chest, one across the arms. And I quickly let him out as he went through and down to win the race, some maid or something, but then Hanbury, I should imagine. And I went back into the waiting room and he just looked at me. And, you know, there, there was a huge amount of respect amongst the riders. And that was key. Yeah, that was key. When you came back in, if you go into the bend and you are two or three wide, you maintain that position all the way around. You don't lean and roll on top of horses. And look, we, we, we're in the bubble. Freddy Talicki is only just around the corner, right? And, and we know what happened to him. We don't want that. So there's got to be that respect there. Jace, actually, funnily enough, you're just talking about race riding now. I had two two rides um, in Hunter Chase. I had a few rides, points, points, but two rides in Hunter Chases. And um, in my first ride, I remember it so well, slow jumping off. There were a field of about 14. And anyway, like, we, we, we jumped off and I was like two-thirds of the way back down on the inside. We came to the first bend and there were like three horse widths up the inside but they were all racing in formation so anyway i tried to go you know because obviously as you're saying you hold your position around the bend you can't race right on the on the on the rail so there's like two or three horses so i thought jesus i'm gonna just nip up here so i poked up the inside of everyone everyone was screaming at me screaming at me trying to put me through the rail but like you know it was just inexperienced but like as you say like it's it's not necessary as it looks from the outside you know there are rules there are, there are um, rules within the riding but i just i'll never forget everyone i was like you know what did i do what did i do there's the, the gap is there why can i not go yeah yeah don't do that you know because it's you know you don't race right on the rail very good. Excellent stuff there. Jason, before we let you go, um, must just ask you about York this week. Um, what are, what are you look, we've been joined actually by our next guest who we'll be introducing in a moment, the chief executive of York Racecourse, William Darby. But before we uh, bring William in, what can, you, uh, what can you sort of flag up or flag up as the races that you're looking forward to this week uh, on the Knavesmire? Uh, how good is it that the, the, the team are rolling the dice with Cameco? I think that's a, that's a big, big um, roll of the dice with him. Marlon Quarter looks absolutely ideal. Track should be perfect. Um, disappointed that Golden Powell's not going to go and take on um, Batash. Love looks an absolute steering job as far as the, uh, the big one on uh, Thursday is concerned. So, look, all, all of it, right, you know, and I keep going back. You talked about one so wonderful. Deja blasting down there underneath Willie Carson with him just perks up his neck. You know, he was always the last to go for his whip anyway, but it wasn't required on that occasion. But just a, an absolute joy to watch, wasn't he, zipping down there. I hope, ask him as well, because Ed's been going on about getting a, a clock so everybody can see the time as the horse is running through. We need something on the screen. You know, we've got to get that visual the visual hype for everybody at home. This is a horse going 47 miles an hour. Get your child. And I'm not saying if anybody gets injured, I want nothing to do with it. But stick your head out the window of the car going 47 miles an hour. That's what it feels like to go on the back of the tash. You know, that's that's the sort of um, the joy and thrill of it all. 
A very neat segue now into William Darby in his office at your race course. How much are you looking forward to having uh, Batash uh, at your premises this week, William? Yeah, superstar horse. Um, obviously, last year broke the track record at York that has stood since Deja's day, 55.9 seconds. Um, sort of put that hoodoo of two sort of fairly mediocre runs in his his first two appearances in the Cornwall Nunthorpe to bed by blitzing up the 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 Gnaysmar. Um Slightly different conditions probably this year to last year. In 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 you know we've had a bit of rain earlier in the week and a bit more probably to come. So so I'm not sure that his record from last year will be in danger. Um, but yes, Jason, we have got a, the biggest clock in the world probably um, on course. So um, so my my facilities team are really thanking. Ed for putting the pressure on me and putting the pressure on them but it's absolutely right you know we want to celebrate the the horse very good so no one has any excuse for sticking their head out of the window in the uh, days and weeks coming up Jason I will sign off uh, with Jason by saying thank you so much for joining us this morning we could have chatted for hours as always with a great guest like yourself uh, and uh, one horse for York then uh, one horse for York go on I was having a look on I'll tell you what I think is overpriced is a little two-year-old on the Thursday called Kraken Power. Um, he was a long way, admittedly, behind Devious Company when he ran at Goodwood, but um, he had a shocking run round. He's no, he's no thirty-three to one shot in the nursery or in. No, he's in the uh, yearling sales race. Perfect. We'll look out for that. Jace, have a good week at York. Thanks so much, boys. Thank you. Our second guest is William Darby, as explained, the chief executive and clerk of the course at your race course. You've already joined in the chat with that comment on Batash, but just in general, William, how have preparations gone in a strange old year for what is your biggest week of the season? Yeah, Tony, it's been a, it has been a strange year and a difficult year for everyone in the sport and obviously in the wider country. Um, we're probably on about plan Z at the moment in terms of arrangements for the week. Um, lots of lots of changes have come in. Obviously, we're racing behind closed doors, which that atmosphere and and the ability of the the race fans to enjoy the racing at York won't be there this year, and we'll be hugely sorry to be missing that. However, all five races, all four days, are covered by ITV Racing and and obviously Racing TV. So people will hopefully enjoy it from the comfort of their armchairs. Um, we're sorry not to have a pilot for spectators on the course. We're delighted that the rules on owners have been relaxed. So looking forward to welcoming owners to the course and, and giving them some proper hospitality. Um, so yeah, really looking forward to the week despite everything. Now York is renowned for its hospitality towards owners, um, the warmth of its welcome. What are you able to do this week then, and you just alluded to it there, to ensure that owners have their usual experience, if not an enhanced experience, on the Knavesmire? Yeah, so the rules have changed literally at the end of last week. So we're now able to give them a proper sort of three-course lunch. Um, because there's no one else on course and we want to observe the social distancing rules, we've basically devoted our £25 million e-ball stand to the owner's experience. So on the second floor, there's a big owner's lounge. On the fourth floor, there's a, our big and our best flagship restaurant allocated to the owners. Um, so, so I think those that are here will have a, 
have a great experience that I guess the main difference or the two main differences one is we're not allowed to invite owners into the parade ring per the government VHA protocols and secondly there won't be that atmosphere that, that people are used to at York so those are the two sort of missing ingredients but nonetheless I hope owners come and enjoy their day and we're incredibly grateful for their support for keeping horses in training during lockdown and looking forward to seeing some of the best in the world come to the nose William, that, that sounds fantastic. Um, I was I um, enjoyed my first trip up to York the other day under the new under the new guidelines. And um, the the one the one thing that stood out to everyone that I was talking to was the the, the pizza van up there that you, you had fired up. Charlie, have you been up there and had a pizza at York? It's fantastic. I did. I did. I went up there a couple of weeks ago. Celebrated a winner. Actually, the owner was there as well, and we had we shared a pizza. Well, we didn't share a pizza. I had my own pizza, George, as I'm sure you uh, you had uh, predicted. Um, it's just I can't I can't say tell you how refreshing it is to hear you speak, William, because it's just without even being prompted or encouraged. All you seem to be trying to justify is that is the amount of work that you're putting into making the ownership experience more enjoyable. And one thing that I feel, obviously racecourses at the moment are under quite a lot of pressure from horsemen um, with media rights and all of those little things, and that potentially the owners are being forgotten and all this. And, and there are a few shining beacons out there, York, Chelmsford, places like that really come to mind that are just uh, that are completely different. and uh, And... I just want to say thank you from everyone because, you know, I feel like owners are being taken for granted at the moment. And I feel like people just think that a lot of owners are very wealthy and that they don't really care what how much prize money they make out of it or what they get in return as far as their day at the races is concerned. And 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 that's just not true at all. And I think a lot of people need to re remember that without owners racing does not exist. Uh, someone said to me the other day, no, that's not true. Without punters racing doesn't exist. That couldn't be further from the truth. Uh, the truth. The owners are the people that keep this sport going. And to have you on and just automatically just saying, you know, we're going to do, we're dedicating all of this to the owners. We're doing that for the owners. And we're incredibly sorry that the owners can't come into the parade ring. It's so nice and so refreshing. And it's just, it's brilliant to hear personally from a personal point of view. Yeah, thanks, Charlie. What, what what I would say is a couple of things. One is that you're you, you know without the horses we we are nothing. So so and obviously the the owners are the ones that that keep and maintain the horses 365 days a year. And and you're right. What what I would say is a couple of things. Firstly, that racecourses have been restricted in what they can do um, for, for since the resumption. So so I guess. You know, we, we've been keen, yes, for the relaxation and, and to put the plans in place, but, but it has been a difficult time with the restrictions we're all operating under. So I think and I hope you will see an uplift in the experience in, in the weeks and months ahead. And the second thing is we're all in a competitive business. So do support those racecourses that are making the effort and help, help guide those racecourses um, that, that, that need improvement in a positive sense um, so we can work together in the industry. Hard one to answer, William, but when do you think racing can start welcoming back race goers? We've seen it in France, plus it's now being piloted in other sports. I think cricket
Ricky have had some people in on occasion. Snooker, the final in Sheffield last weekend, is racing. Do, is there anything you can tell us in terms of updates? Well, I hope very soon. Um, you, know, you know, I was on my way down to Goodwood for, on the Friday of Glorious Goodwood to see the Stewards Cup pilot and incredibly disappointed for the Goodwood team and for all in, in racing that that pilot was scrapped at the 11th hour. Adam Waterworth rang me and I turned round on the motorway. Um, we were very keen, as people know, and we, we said in the press, to, to hold a second pilot for this week. Um, that wasn't to be from HM government, but um, we do need spectators back because, um, you know, the current situation is unsustainable. Um, you know, without spectators, unfortunately, the, the current situation is is not not sustainable in the long term. So the sooner the better. Um, and, and hopefully there'll be some good news soon. And so focusing on the racing, first of all, ground, what are we looking at ground wise? Well, we're, we're speaking Tuesday lunchtime. It's currently good ground. We've had a um, drizzly morning, probably under a millimetre, well, definitely under a millimetre of rain so far today. Um, and it's going to be largely dry during Wednesday morning um, until about tea time. And then we've got a band of rain, organised rain, coming through the region Wednesday evening ahead of racing Thursday. And then it's getting windy, so bright and breezy and showery for the for the week ahead, sort of Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So, so I think we'll be predominantly good ground. We may dip into an element of good to soft on Thursday um, for your horse, your filly in the last in the last race, um, and then and then you know hopefully we'll we'll be predominantly good ground. So the ground's in fantastic condition, um, but um, uh, despite ever despite the summer that we've had. I was, I was, I'm shaking my head, not because I'm worried about the ground. The ground, that would be absolutely perfect for my filly. But I had one in the clipper um, who got balloted out at 9.59 and 58 seconds. And David O'Meara declared his fourth horse literally as the race closed. And I, Which horse was that, Charlie? Via serendipity running off 90 in a mile handicap round there. And I thought if he'd gone in, he would have been, he would have gone very, very, very close. Um, I was absolutely gutted. Charlie is shaking his head and pulling at his hair as he regales us this tale over Zoom. Turning back on to the racing uh, that is going to be happening. Uh, over the years, York has graced so many of the sport's great racehorses. And in recent times alone, you've had See the Stars in Abel and Frankel. Which one horse, I suppose it must be Batash, maybe there's another horse, but which horses are you most looking forward to seeing this week on the Naysmire, William? I think I'm most looking forward to seeing Love, Tony. Um, I was so impressed with her in the 1,000 guineas and then at, the, at Epsom, the Oaks. And, and, and she just looks a complete superstar. So, so to have her race um, probably the best three-year-old around, let alone three-year-old filly, um, you know, race on the Darley Yorkshire Oaks on the Thursday is a, is a great thrill. And, um, yeah, really looking forward to seeing Love on, on Thursday. William, we wish you well and the team at York this week Charlie has one more question I can see him uh, keen to get in one last question no it wasn't a question I was just saying I think John Gosden's made a massive mistake by um, by skipping York with an able because he's now decided to go and run in the September stakes where he meets Prince of Aaron which is a huge huge error on his part 
Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Regretting that call big time. Very much so. William, thank you. Have a great week on behalf of Charlie, George and myself. Have a great week and we look forward to meeting down the line. Thanks again, William. Thanks a lot. All the best. Bye. This is George and Charlie off the bridle, supported by our friends Fitstairs. Guys, do you receive their What Sport messages on WhatsApp? That's John Motson on football, Cornelius Lysett on racing, and my own particular favourite, Sir Geoffrey Boycott on cricket. Um, every day of every test match, via WhatsApp, I get an audio message with Boycott giving me his insights and predictions and thoughts on, on the cricket, and it's superb. Uh, and if uh, any listeners are interested in accessing it, they can get some more information at www.fitstairs.com. What sport? Those audio messages, well worth a listen. It's been a very busy episode, boys, but we can't finish without a glance ahead at the, your two stables' respective runners. Um, which horses are you most looking forward to seeing in action over the next week or two, uh, guys? From your love, I I know we've talked about her, but I just I just couldn't be like more obsessed with her as a racehorse. I think she's she could just be one of the greats. But um, I'm looking forward to seeing her. We've got a few runners, um, a few low 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 grade sort of type type races. But um, actually, funnily enough, a former guest of us, Louisa Zissman, who um, has a filly in training with me, um, has she's running on Thursday at Windsor, and she I'm hoping she can go a couple of spots better. Um, than she did the last year she was third. So she would be my sort of best chance on the horizon this week at Windsor. Charlie, what have you got? Maybe an assist at the weekend uh, in the Atalanta at Sandown on Sunday. It looks like a very, very, very hot group three. Um, but she's in good form. Um, I don't want much more rain. Um, but she could run there. Jeremiah might go for the Ebor, possibly. Um, I think he's going to get in. Uh, I, I haven't quite had a look. Um, I don't think he needs many outs. Um, he'd love he'd love York. That big galloping track would really suit him. So that's probably my excitement at the at the weekend. Um, it's a shame. I don't have any runners at York, which is devastating because it is the best track in the country. Um, and I wish I had a few more running there this week, but I just, I just don't. I just looked at the, I've just looked at the Lonsdale. Nayef Road is not favourite to win the Lonsdale, and Enbahar is. How the hell does that work? That's amazing. I'd be on Nayef Road all day long. That, that'll win that. You heard it first. That's the podcast tip then. Fellows has flagged up Nayef Road for the Lonsdale. Okay, lads, good to catch up with you. We'll be back in a few weeks. Until then, thanks once more to our partners, Fitstairs. Thanks to Carl Homer from Cambridge TV for sound and production. And thank you all for listening. Listener.